Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. All right, thanks guys. Man, thank you. I'm glad uh, that we could sing that song because we're going to actually look at that verse this morning. So that's pretty handy. We need to pray. The Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we find out the Bible is a spiritual book written to a spiritual man. And God has his mind. He knows what he means when he's saying what he said. And so it's only by his spirit that we're going to actually have understanding. We're going to have insight and the ability to apply what we're reading. So many people are going through life agreeing with the Bible and then living like hell. And they'll say God is true, the word of God is true, but then you're just doing what you want in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I don't want my biochemical makeup determining my destiny. Amen? I don't want who I am in the flesh running my life for the Lord. I don't want to get in the way. I want to hear from the Lord this morning. And so according to your faith, be it unto you. If you come believing that God's word will speak to you, guess what? God's all about his word speaking to you, right? According to your faith, be it unto you. But if you're here just to attend a service... Well, then, man, you're just wasting your time, and then you'll go on wasting your life. I mean, man, we don't want that. Amen? Tell your neighbor, don't waste your life. Let's hear from the Lord. And then let's tell the Lord. Everybody grab a prayer partner. Let's call on the Lord. Just take a minute. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to have his way with this time and this wor- in his word to have his way with our life. Everybody grab a prayer partner. Let's have a short season of prayer. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives. God, I thank you for the way that you've counted us faithful. You've enabled us. You've placed us in the ministry together. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for the testimony of these two sisters who are saying that they're going to follow. They're going to move forward in faith, following you as disciples. Lord, to be disciples, not according to what they think, not according to how they feel or their changing circumstances, but Lord, uh, what your word says is what settles the agenda of their life, and that's what they're going to endeavor to pursue. And so God, bless them. Lord, bless us. Uh, We're here to do the same thing. There's some here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. God, please convict them of sin. Convict them of their need of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, all of us uh, were the called this morning. You called us into a place to have a part in the ministry of the gospel. Lord, open our eyes to see it this morning. Uh, Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1, just by way of quick review, verse 6. Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was in him 
by the putting on of his, of his hands. And what we saw in that is that every believer is gifted of God. And the way that you stir up the gift of God is you use it. Okay, here it's specifically talking about his uh, ordination to ministry. He needs to use that. But the principle applies to every believer. The way you stir up the gift of God is you put it to work. And don't be afraid, verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, watch this now, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you can use what God gave you because you know that God is with you. The spirit that is in you is not a spirit of fear. It is a spirit of power, love, and right thinking. We're agreeing with God, right? We have a sound mind. Verse 8, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And so if I'm not afraid, then I'm not going to be ashamed of who God has called me to be in Christ, the work that he's called me to. Two things that Timothy is to have no shame in. Number one, the testimony of the Lord or, right, the, 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 the preaching of the gospel. And he's not to be ashamed of Paul, God's prisoner. Don't be, ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the preachers of the gospel. Now, f- follow with me, okay? Are you awake? You gotta drill in right now. From verse eight, we see that if Timothy does have, verse seven, right in his life, if his ministry is marked by the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, then he is able to stand for Christ in the face of opposition, those who hate the preaching of the gospel and preachers of the gospel, He's not going to be ashamed then to testify about the Lord. He's not going to be ashamed of Paul going to prison for doing what Jesus told him to. And here's why. Verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. This is what we looked at last week. It's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Man, the gospel really is good news, isn't it? Death abolished its power over our life, just short-circuited. So zero in on verse 9. Church, we're saved, right? We're born again. It's not a rhetorical question. I'm just checking to see the spiritual temperature of our church. It'd be a bummer to get to the judgment seat of Christ, get to heaven, and not have half of you with me. We're saved, right? Are we born again? We're saved. We're called with a holy calling, aren't we? Still confused. I just, man. Are we or are we not called with unholy calling? I think I got to make a case for that this morning. We're called. So that means what? Okay, here's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, It's what gives me the confidence to be able to move forward in ministry as God's called me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says that we preach Christ crucified. That's what believers do. We preach Christ crucified. Now, the Jews have a tough time with that. It's under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. The lost Gentile world thinks it's stupid. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, uh, yeah, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here it is, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. You're called. If you're a born-again believer, God has a call on your life. Do you see it? For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. And the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Man, I read that verse and I just get, I mean, I just get a charge every time. God, you can use me. I'm definitely qualified as someone that you can use to ensure that you get all the glory. Man, praise the Lord for that. But what a holy calling this is to serve in the gospel to the glory of God. We're going to see that that is our calling today. So here we are in today's text. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Just heads up, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. And so, man, let's, uh, let's trust the Lord to... To, to hear from him. Verse 11 says, we just finished, right? We're saved with a holy calling, or we're saved, we're called with a holy calling. It's not according to our works. It's according to his purpose and grace. It was given in Christ to us in Christ before the world began. Now we see it. We're entering into that call. Uh, this Jesus who's abolished death bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, whereunto that mission of preaching the gospel, that call on every believer, whereunto I am appointed, Paul is now speaking specifically of himself. He says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have, not, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Every time I read verse 12, uh, it's very tough for me not to sing it. <laughs> what I just did, that's why I'm stumbling all over, I stumble all over everything anyway, but this was because I'm trying not to sing it, I'm trying not to sing verse 12. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Cha-cha-cha. Uh, okay, so, so if the Holy Ghost, right, if the Holy, uh, if the Holy Calling, rather, in verse 9, if that Holy Calling is given to us, those who are saved, in Christ Jesus before the world began, and understanding that when Christ appeared, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, then that means two things from verses 11 and 12. We, like Paul, are to live for the gospel. And secondly, we should know that it's worth suffering for. Living for the gospel, preaching the gospel, it's worth the suffering. We ought to know that. So let's look at the first point. Like Paul, we're appointed the gospel. We need to know it's worth living for. Verse 11 again says, Whereunto I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. That word appointed means to be placed, to be put, right? To be set. I'm appointed. God placed me in a position. I have a responsibility from the Lord. God put me here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says that God enabled me, counted me faithful, and put me in the ministry. That's why he says, whereunto I am appointed. Whereunto what? 
Well, again, what we just saw was this preaching of the gospel. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, he says, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Verity means truth. So God chose Paul for a job, and that's an honor that must be taken with the utmost sincerity. He says, the gospel whereunto I am appointed, that I'm ordained to preach. He says, this thing, it, you know, it's three, it, it, there's three aspects to it. There's three roles. Paul was three things. He was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Jesus said as much in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said unto him, he's talking to Ananias, he says, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 20 records that right after his salvation, right after God um, arrests Christ on his way to, a, you know, he's a, Saul's on his way to arrest a bunch of Christians and God arrests him. I mean, that's, you know, God beat him to the punch and Paul surrendered his life to Christ. And verse 20 says, straightway, right? I mean, Lord, who art thou? I'm Jesus whom thou persecuted. <laughs> My whole life has just been wasted. It's been a disaster. He submits. He gets baptized. Straightway, he preached the gospel in the synagogues that he, Jesus, is the Son of God. Paul was a preacher. Immediately after he gets saved, what he knows and believes, that's what he tells. He preached Jesus, and he stirred up his world. He wasn't afraid. So many of God's people are hiding in fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Is Jesus with you or not? Paul met Jesus in the way, right? Jesus arrested him. He's like, okay, I'm your prisoner. And he gave his life to his glory. They wanted to kill him. They tried to stop him, but it was too late. Jesus had already consumed him. Heart, mind, and soul. Jesus already had him. There was no going back. And so as a result, he's a preacher. He's a proclaimer of the gospel. Who are you telling the old, old story to? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. That'd be the first test. How come I'm not preaching? How come, I'm not, how, how come I'm not communicating the good news, the terms, the salvation that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why isn't that coming out of my life and my mouth? Stuff's going in. I mean, I'm eating cake. It's working. Right? I can, I can complain to my spouse. It's, I mean, the mouth's working. Why isn't the gospel coming out of it? Well, I don't know. Is Christ in you? Because whatever's in you, that's what comes out of you. If you're going through life with hate in your heart, guess what? You're going to hate. You're going to be a hater. You're going to be hating on people all the time. Whatever's in you, that's what's coming out of you. All my relationships are going to hell in a handbasket. All your relationships are going to hell in a handbasket. What's the common denominator there? Check your pits, bro. You stink. Right? It's you. Whatever's in you, that's what's coming out of you. And if you're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it in there? Is it in you? Do you does Christ indwell your heart and life? Have you been saved? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man 
and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature, complete, whole, perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So don't be oblivious, bro. When God calls you, he works in you mightily. All of us are to preach the gospel. All of us are to speak of our Savior. It's a command. That's the command. But listen, let me just tell you, where every believer is to be a preacher of the gospel, some people get called to it pastorally, missionally, right? Your whole, the whole, the totality of your life is to be given into the gospel ministry to win souls, make disciples, and train people to go do the same. And so let me just tell you, if God gives you the call to preach, some of you, God is dealing with you about going into the pastorate. And you're ignoring it, you're afraid of it, and I'm just telling you, you will be miserable until you surrender to it. It takes one to know one. I didn't want anything to do with it for a, a, the, a large part of the first part of my life. You'll never be happy as the head of a major corporation. I mean, set in the world, doing what you always dreamt, you know, doctor, lawyer, astronaut, banker, whatever it is, okay? You're never going to be as happy doing that as you will being right in the center of God's will for your life. If God's called you to preach, I'm just telling you, there's nothing else that you can do that will make you happy, bring you contentment and satisfaction. You got to be, you got to do what God called you to do, brother. If God's called you to preach, there's nothing else you're going to be able to do and be content. So don't stick your head in the ground and ignore it. Embrace it. And if he's in it, then he'll give you the ability and the opportunity to preach, to pastor, to shepherd and lead God's people. It will be supernatural, and you will be, you will be frustrated with anything less. So Paul was a preacher. He was a proclaimer of the gospel. Secondly, he was an ordained apostle. An apostle is just a sent one. So he has a, his life is dedicated now to God's service. What's your life dedicated to? Getting level 53 on, I'm so, I'm so out of touch. What's the hot game right now? Seth? Don't tell me you don't know. You, really? Oh, man, praise the Lord. That's, uh, yeah, that's wonderful. Now I can't get anybody else to answer. Because you just made it sound like uber spiritual that you're not playing video games right now. and <laughs> Whatever it is, whatever that hot video game is, you know. Oh, get to the level 53. What a waste. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you don't need time to unwind. What's your life dedicated to? In nine out of the 14 epistles that Paul wrote, he begins with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It was a big deal to Paul. What God called him to, he was all about it. Never never lost the thread, right? He stayed on point. He stayed, on, he stayed focused. You know, originally there were 12 apostles. Judas blew it. And so they're going to replace him. And here are the requirements. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore of these men, which have, watch this now, who's, here's who they're looking for to replace Judas, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us. So from the Whoever we're going to replace Judas with, he had to be with us from John's baptism 
all the way to Jesus' ascension. In other words, must, be, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? Whoever's going to replace Judas had to see the resurrected Jesus. So, by the way, that necessarily means you don't actually know any apostles. You meet them all the time. It's on their business card. I'm apostle so-and-so. No, you're not. Not biblically. I mean, maybe in the sense of being a sent one, you could claim that title, but you don't actually have apostolic authority because you didn't actually see Christ's resurrection. You see that? So in Paul's case, Jesus had to enact a special dispensation. So on the road to, I mean, he's on the way to Damascus to persecute and brutalize and kill and imprison God's bride. And Jesus arrested him. God let Paul see the resurrected Jesus. It put his eyes out. But God made Paul an apostle. Jesus hooked Paul up directly to the apostleship. And so Paul, too, was a witness of his resurrection. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> yeah. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Man, isn't that amazing that Jesus, you're preaching the gospel, and you suffer for it, and Jesus suffers right there with you? You're persecuted. I mean, Paul didn't have anything to do with Christ's crucifixion. And yet Jesus said, you're persecuting me because you're going after my bride. I think every husband feels that way. Somebody is being mean to your bride. I mean, you just want to go berserk. <laughs> okay, man, Jesus got Paul's attention, hooks him up to the apostleship. Paul is a witness of his resurrection. And look what he says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, Peter, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Uh, I got in just under the wire, Paul says. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called. I shouldn't even be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. And as a result, Paul could say with all confidence in Romans eleven thirteen, I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I didn't pick that. I didn't, I didn't scheme to make that happen. God sent me to it. God placed me there. See, Paul didn't have a spirit of fear. He was in on anything God wanted before he even knew what it looked like. Who art thou, Lord? People are worrying about giving God a blank check. Man, if, I'm go all, if I go all in on Jesus, then God's going to send me to live in some third world slum. My life's going to be miserable. You know what your problem is? You can't trust God. You'd be happier in a third world slum than you would be in the middle of an elite neighborhood with your own pri personal private security. You know, you can have the world by the tail and be depressed and miserable and completely out of God's will. Your problem is you can't trust God. 
No, Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever God wants, wherever he wants me to do it, whenever he wants me. I'm all in on Jesus. The third thing that is recorded of Paul is that he's a teacher. In other words, he's a discipler of the saints. Paul had a two-phase approach to the ministry. He preaches the gospel to sinners, and then he teaches the Bible to the sinners who get saved. Did you get that? Here, let's put it up on the screen. You're like, I got this line with all these blanks. That's for the people who guess what goes in the blanks. There was no way you were going to get that one. (laughs) So you preach the gospel to sinners, and you teach the Bible to saints. The sinners that get saved, they need to be discipled. Why? Well, the only person that can understand and learn the Bible is one who is saved. You have to have the Holy Ghost indwelling your life, and then the Holy Spirit creates an interest within the new convert, right, within that heart of the new believer in the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God, then, that grants understanding as they go to the Word of God, as they study it out in their life. I made reference to this before we started this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, in verse 9, as it is written, I have not seen nor you heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? You know, we have this beautiful gift from the Lord called language and communication. And we're all just struggling to get good at it. You know, you can say one thing and somebody can hear, I mean, somebody else will hear something else completely different. And you, everybody's experienced this at one point. You thought you were giving someone a compliment and what they heard was an insult. Like, we're just not super good at the talking thing, okay? But it's still a wonderful gift. And as you communicate, you know exactly what you meant by what you said, even though somebody else that's hearing it might misunderstand it. You know what you meant. You know what you said. Well, it's the same thing with God. He doesn't have a communication problem, but he's actually the only one that fully understands what he meant when he said what he said when he gave us his word. Now, the beautiful thing is, is he shares his spirit with us as believers so that we can get his insight into what he said. Man, what a gift. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he do that? How does the Holy Ghost teach you the Word of God? By comparing Scripture with Scripture. By comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. And so that's an incredible insight right there. Here's the key. You must want to learn the Bible and the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Spirit must open, it has to open its truth he has to open his truth up to you in order for you to learn the Bible. If you don't have a hunger for the Word of God, why is that? Is the Spirit of God in your life? Are you born again? Man, I just don't love my Bible. Few people love, actually love their Bible, carry their Bible, study their Bible, mark in their Bible, take notes in their Bible. I've heard people, uh, you know, especially as a child, I'd hear people say, don't write in your Bible, you need it. That's God's word. You want to keep that. You want to take care of it. They, you know, they wanted me to keep my Bible in new condition. 
You show me a Bible like that, that's in new condition, I'll show you a Bible that doesn't get used, right? Uh, study it, mark it, memorize it. Uh, I have a study Bible, a wide margin study Bible, and, and, and as I was coming up in ministry, all my notes went into that. Once I got heavily involved in ministry, I went digital. And uh, I bought another, you know, I just, man, I just basically destroyed my wide margin Bible, so I bought another one. I bought a, a, one of the really good wide margin Oxford Bibles. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to put everything I have into this wide margin Bible. That thing is setting in my basement. I won't tell you where. It is in pristine new condition. I looked online and saw, they don't make this Bible anymore. I saw one guy was trying to sell one of these in new condition for $1,500. You know what that Bible is? As far as I'm concerned, as far as any spiritual value for me, it's worthless because I don't use it. I don't, now I'll show you my hard drive. <laughs> I'll show you my hard drive. I got a lot of notes. Um, don't miss the point. You show me a Bible that's in perfect condition, you're not using it. And that's a problem. You should try to master the Bible. You want to study it. You want to mark it. You want to memorize it. I want to know it from cover to cover. Master the Bible. And if you'll do that, the Bible will master you. That's what we need. Okay, so Paul's our example. He's a proclaimer of the gospel. Who are we telling the old, old story to? He's a sent one. What's our life dedicated to? And he's a discipler of the saints. Who are you training in the word of God? Well, I don't know how. You are at the right place. We will teach you how. Okay, we've got a path to personal spiritual growth. Uh, we will get you discipled. We will get you trained up. And we will train you how to disciple other people. You will learn that in this local church. So, the gospel is worth living for. Secondly, in verse 12, Paul was persuaded that the gospel was worth suffering for. Suffering is your next blank. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So Paul says, you know, my current condition, well, I'm suffering. It hurts. I'm suffering. Why? I'm suffering for living and preaching and teaching the word of God. But he's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, my life in the flesh, the things that I used to value, man, that's not worth anything. He says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, who I was in the flesh, what I had accomplished, what I had achieved in the flesh. It's poop. My life was poop. I mean, and Paul was highly regarded. I mean, he was a highly regarded rabbinic scholar, and um, he was, you know, I mean, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was a big deal. That's nothing that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having. You ever see anybody treasuring their last bowel movement? Check that out. Look, you know, put it on a, in a trophy case, <laughs> put it on display. I did that. You just don't see that. People know that dung has no value. That's what Paul's saying here. It's, it's dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him 
that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Too many believers have the wrong view on fellowship. So, you know, after service, they'll have a potluck dinner, pie and ice cream. Oh, that was such good fellowship. And what they're, all they're doing is just sacrificing to their belly God, you know. That was such good fellowship. Not many of us suffer for the gospel's sake. Not in this country. We really have it very easy. But that's good fellowship, to suffer for his sake. Paul gives a word of personal testimony here in verse 12. I want you to just real quick do some math. Count how many times in verse 12 you have the first person singular word, I. How many are there? First one, get it. Raise your hand. How many? Five. Five. Go ahead and bring it up. That's five. Five. There it is. Five. Now contrast Satan's five I wills of Isaiah 14. Satan's goal in Isaiah 14, that can be homework for you. Just look, read it. His goal there is preeminence. That's his goal. His own preeminence. Here's the key. Paul places his I, right, who he is, under submission to God's agenda, even though it means suffering. And he goes on to say, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And people would look at what Paul went through and like, Paul, I mean, your suffering was over the top. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there. Keep a finger in 2 Timothy 2 and go back in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 11. I don't know that anybody suffered more than the Apostle Paul for preaching the gospel. I don't think anybody did. Most people that get to the point of dying, that's the end of it at least, not Paul. <laughs> he was stoned to death and God's like, nope, not done. <laughs> and he just goes back for the next round. Watch this. Are they ministers of Christ? This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. He says, you want to get foolish here? Here we go. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, above measure I've lost count of how many times I've been beaten. I couldn't tell you how many. I mean, whenever they beat him, it's 39 times. He's had the flesh ripped off his back before more times than he can count. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Now of the Jews, here it is, verse 24, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. So he remembers the account of his brethren beating him. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and day have I been in the deep. Uh, that's a term for death in the grave. In journeyings often, in, peril, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own, my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not, if I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. 
In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king of the city of the Damascenes, with the garrison, desires to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. In other words, I've been beaten and stoned to death, left for dead, chased, punished, starved. That's okay. I'm going to glory in it because I'm in good company. What did my Savior suffer? The great God of heaven and earth. What did my Lord Jesus Christ do for me? Did he do any less for me? So I'm in good, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Turn to Isaiah 53. Look at the example of the suffering Savior. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Here's Jesus, a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the, strotter, uh, to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered, he was counted with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Paul says, I see what Jesus did for me, so no, no, I'm not ashamed. I'm suffering as an evildoer. The world despises me because I'm being obedient to Christ's call in my life. No, I'm not ashamed of that. The world thinks it's shameful, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm in jail, in chains. Most Christians suffer in this life because of their sin. But Paul's not in jail because of robbery. Look back at verse 8. He tells Timothy, be, 2 Timothy two, uh, 1, verse 8, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You need to get a vision for this too, Tim. Jesus suffered for my sake. I get to suffer for his Come on, jump in, the water's warm. There's no greater privilege than to partake of the fellowship of Christ's suffering. In verse 16, he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesophorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not, he was not ashamed of my chain. So Paul is not only in prison, he's chained as well. It's a horrible physical condition. But to Paul, it was worth it. Why? Because he'd been saved. Christ bought him by his blood. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So mark it down. Brothers and sisters, know it. If the Lord's coming, if, his, if the Lord tarries his return for the church, many of you, you will physically suffer for the gospel's sake. Some of you here, some of you in foreign lands, but mark it down, it'll happen. And you better have a reason for it, right? You better have the reason down. You better know the cause for which you are suffering. Look at verse 12 again. You'd better be persuaded because people fold under pressure. But if you know, right, if you know on whom you have believed, if you know he's able to keep what you've committed to him, you better be persuaded. I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know him personally. It's more than a religion to me. I know the guy. I know Jesus. He stopped me on the road to Damascus. I was, on the, I was literally on my way to do him more harm. And he saved me. He changed my life. And you cannot confuse me. You cannot talk me out of it. I'm persuaded. All right, I've thought this thing through. You know, Paul wasn't, you know, you, Peter and Paul are a great comparison and contrast. You know, Paul, Paul was a brain. He was an intellectual. He was, he was different than Peter. Peter thought a lot with his gut, right? He went with his gut. Paul wasn't like that. Okay, look what else he said on the subject. I've thought this through, Romans 8, 38. He says, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Look at what he says. I am persuaded that neither death, I've thought it all through, he said, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Doesn't matter what any magistrate throws at me. I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you got to come to that conclusion yourself. No matter what I go through, Jesus has got me. You know, Jesus is able to keep his own. He's able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And they went through the fire of persecution, secure in Christ. They're like, we could go into that furnace and die, be consumed. We're okay with that. We're persuaded. He's got me, right? He's got us. Paul had complete trust and assurance in Jesus Christ. And so Paul had committed his, Christ, or committed his life to Christ. Okay, you've got me. I'm yours. You're mine. Nothing's going to change that. 1 Peter 4:19 says, "Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator." You know, you've got nothing of greater value than your soul. Your soul far outlives your body. It'll go on for eternity. And if you die physically with a lost soul in your body, you would have been better off if you were never born. Hell is real. But your soul need not stay lost. You know, you may be pretty on the outside and ugly on the inside. You could be physically healthy on the outside, but sick spiritually on the inside. Outside, you could be alive physically, but inside, dead spiritually. 
But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved. You're born again to new life. You become alive toward God. Your soul is saved. This is why Paul can say, I know whom I have believed. I've already trusted my life to Christ. I'm in Christ. He is my life. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's got me. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You know, when you commit your soul to the Lord, your deposit is good until when? Once you give your life to Christ, he's got you till when? What does the text say? What's the word? That day. That, well, what's that day? Okay, in Ephesians 4.30, the Bible calls it the day of redemption. Talking about the rapture of the church. That leads us into our time with Christ. Philippians 1 verse 6 calls it the day of Jesus Christ. Speaking of the rapture, speaking of the resurrection, John describes it this way. John chapter 6 verse 39. He says, this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. That's the Creator's promise to every believer. Death can't hold you. He's got you. You can trust your life to him, and he has it. It's secured. He will resurrect you. Psalms, or I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 54. Jesus says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, and he, in that passage, talks about this being a figure of faith in him, okay, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At the rapture of the church, it's a day of resurrection for the believer. It's resurrection to the day of Christ. The rapture of the church is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. Where you and I are concerned, that's next. So we don't need to worry about our soul or spirit. We can commit them to the Lord, and he is able, right? He will make sure that you make it to glory. So why are you worried about dying? He is able to save to the uttermost, to the very end. So you don't have to worry that you'll make a mistake and cause God to flick you into hell. No, he's already made his promise to you. Take it to the grave. I mean, he's just not that kind of God that goes back on his promises. He will, right? He wants to save you. He will save you. He will keep you saved. He will keep your soul safe until the end of time and then on through eternity. All you need to do is meet him at Calvary. So if you're not saved this morning, why don't you trust him now? You say, well, it sounds foolish to me. Ah, we're praying for you. You know how we're praying for you? We're, pray we're praying that the devil can't get away with lying to you anymore. There is a creator. Only a fool can miss that. We're praying that the devil can't keep lying to you. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit is poured out on you in conviction, that you see that you are a sinner and your sin separates you from a holy and a just and a righteous God. We're praying that you will see the truth of the gospel, that God wasn't willing that you would perish, and he made provision for you at Calvary. God loves you, and he fell all over himself proving it. God the Father allows God the Son to take the wickedness that we've committed against him to the cross of Calvary. His blood washes it away. Sin's the only thing that death has any influence over. 
When he rose again on the third day, it was to eternal life. The sin debt of Adam's race is paid. The question is, is will you receive that gift of salvation? Will you receive it? Meet him at Calvary. Accept him today. The song inspired by this passage reads this way. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him. It's a reference to dying and passing through the valley of the shadow of death. Nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. Are you ready for either the rapture or death? Are you ready? But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you know you've believed? Are you persuaded that he's got you? You can know that today. You can know from Scripture that your life is hid in God in the person of Christ. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm praying for every soul here. For the believers, help us to see. Help us to be convinced. Help us to be all in on your mission. And to recognize that the pushback from the world, that's just the, the, the cry. That's just the thrashing of a defeated foe. It's the death spasm of a world that, that is lost in sin. Help us to be a people that are not following fear, but, but faith. Help us to be a people that recognize that our life is secure in Christ. And so, Lord, give us wisdom to contemplate our death, to not be afraid of it, to not worry about it. Give us wisdom to contemplate the idea of persecution and to, to get comfortable with it, to be okay with it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, and he asked Timothy to join him in that boldness. Lord, I'm praying that if there's any here today that, that have some excuse for failing to just submit to the call that you have over their life, I pray that today would be a day of repentance. For those that are endeavoring Lord, I pray that today would be a day of encouragement. And for those that do not know Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, please, except you work in us, nothing will be accomplished. Help us to see. Help us to do the math. You are, and as a result, we're accountable. We're accountable to, to meet you at the center of your will. Lord, help us to pursue it in faith. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. I'd ask that people don't be running in and out in the service right now. This is your part of the service, right? This is a time of giving praise back to God as a result of hearing the word of God. This is a time where we need to surrender. Maybe God's dealing with your heart and you know that God wants you to make a change of direction in your life. Put a stake down, get accountable, pray with someone. If you've got questions, come forward. Let's get those answered. This is your part of the service. And so as we sing, right, however God's leading you, come on, we want to help. All right, let's worship.